0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. I'm grateful to be here in uh, this part of the country for the first time i uh, especially grateful to have the time to be with my family and uh, also to be with all of you today. Uh, in an- another way, coming from uh, Colorado, I am very grateful that God invented air conditioning. <laughs> this is marvelous in here. I don't know what it is about Mike and Kim, but um, the only time I get air conditioning is at night. <laughs> but believe me, it's really good at night, isn't it? Let me pray for us, please. Father, thank you for the privilege we have of being together here today. We do count it a privilege. It is all because of your grace. As we gather here today, we do so, as Kim has already mentioned, to focus on the issue of forgiveness. Your forgiveness of us and also, God, our forgiveness of each other. So I pray that by your Spirit you would make us mindful where indeed our relationship with you is clouded by our sin that needs confession and repentance. And that likewise you would remind us wherein our relationships with each other are likewise clouded. And God, in reminding us of those things by your Spirit, renew our wills that we would act according to your desire. And restore peace and harmony and the kind of relationship of love that you desire among your children and with you. We pray to the name of Christ. Amen. Forgiveness is a beautiful word. That is, until you really have something to forgive, that changes everything. That statement by C.S. Lewis too often captures our own. Uh, sentiments, our own thoughts as well. Forgiveness is a beautiful word until you've really, really been hurt. It's like the usually friendly neighbor neighbor man who flew into a rage when uh, a child walked through his freshly poured cement. His somewhat startled wife said to him, I thought you liked children. You've heard this, right? He said, I like them in the abstract, not in the concrete. <laughs> we too like the idea of forgiveness. But to actually forgive to actually forgive is quite another thing. I want you to listen for a moment and watch as we see a montage of verses that touch on this subject. First John one eight. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Key concept. Hebrews 10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, and where sins have been forgiven, there is no longer any need of a sacrifice for sin. From Jeremiah, This is the covenant I will make with them, declares the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Matthew 18, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Matthew 6, Jesus said, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Those are hard words. Psalm 32, Blessed is he whose transgressions, whose sins are forgiven. Well, the war had gone on far too long, and David, the king of Israel, had grown weary of the meetings, the strategies, the pressures. In many of these social affairs with his generals and others, he had come to not only know the generals, but had become familiar with some of their wives. One of those generals, and you, most of you know the story, lived next door apparently to David, and the wife was particularly attractive to To David. And on a day when David should have been attending to other matters, David spent too much time noticing and then looking and then longing for that woman. That longing grew into active adultery, and then he discovered that the general's wife was pregnant with David's child. Well, David's devious mind, again, as most of you know, tried desperately to find a way to get the general to come home so that when the pregnancy became obvious, everyone would assume it was the general's child. But failing in his many attempts at that, David finally called a trusted military aide and said, I want you to place the general in such a position that when a retreat is called, the general is vulnerable and he will die. And the plan worked perfectly. And David married The pregnant widow. That story, as you know, is recorded for us in 2 Samuel and illustrates how our sins against others manifest themselves. Maybe not always as egregiously as that, but indeed our sins manifest themselves in our relationship with others. Then in Psalm 32, King David describes the psychological, the spiritual turmoil that he went through. In the apparently in the aftermath of his hideous sin. He said, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. The guilt of his sin was nearly overwhelming to him, but he couldn't do anything about it. He had sinned. Now David had to simply live with the consequences, or not so simply live with the consequences. Several years ago, I came across an article by the late Lewis Smeeds, a seminary professor, in which he writes, there are two anxieties with which people live, and by which people are often plagued throughout their lives. One of them is the uncertainty of the future. People long to be able to control their futures, to be able to determine what is going to happen, at least to know what's going to take place. The other anxiety, the second, is our unchangeable past. Some people, maybe even some of us this morning, would give almost anything to redo some portion of our life. To recreate some past of our history. If only I could change this, or if only I had not done that. If only I could do it over again. But what's the truth? We are stuck with our past. So the future is uncertain, and the past is unchangeable. And you think about it for a moment. That is the tragic plight of every man and woman without God stuck with their past, and uncertain of the future. But with God, God offers relief from those two great anxieties. God controls our future. He's in control of it. And God is willing to recreate our past. And it's that that we're going to focus on most of all today. Wouldn't it be something if our past could be changed? Wouldn't it be something if some of those things that still stick in our minds or maybe are forefront in your thinking because of what you have done, if that could be undone, recreated? There are two ideas that will weave their way through this sermon. The first of them is God's power to change our past. And the second of them is God's power to change our past in relationship with others. Now, in 2 Samuel, we are told that the prophet preacher Nathan came to David after David's sin. And through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, David came to see his sin for all of the evilness that it was. And he cried out to God, I have sinned against the Lord. Now I remember even as a young person thinking to myself, against the Lord? What about everybody else involved? Well, David recognized that through his adulterous relationship, he had obviously sinned against the woman, he had sinned against her husband, he had sinned against his country, but ultimately and mostly he had sinned against God because the root of all sin is rebellion against God. But to David's confession, David's repentance, came the most beautiful words any person could ever possibly hear, and they were these, The Lord has taken away your sins. In one stroke of grace, in a sense, in a great sense, David's past was altered. What could have been held against David for all of his life and for all of eternity was simply by God forgiven. The past was changed. And David's response to the whole ordeal read to us earlier from Psalm 32. And I wonder if you can begin to feel this or if you have felt it in your own experience. And that is, blessed is he. Blessed is he whose transgressions, whose sins are forgiven. Now, Now David was free from the heaviness of the guilt that had clung like a leech to his soul. Now that which before had sapped his strength was, as it were, simply removed, freed from the past. Again, in a great sense, his past was changed. Now, maybe you don't identify with the kind of heinous sin that David committed with adultery and murder and treasonous acts, even against his own country and his own leaders for sure. Maybe you don't even respond or react very much to some of the lesser sins that you've heard from other people or heard of other people. Maybe it's tempting for you, as I think for many of us from time to time, to say to ourselves, well, of course those kinds of sins deserve a great forgiveness. But if we are honest and do not simply compare ourselves to others who are more sinful than we are, or who apparently are more sinful than we are, but instead compare ourselves to the holiness, the perfection of Jesus Christ himself, we will see that we, too, require a great, a great forgiveness. Because our past, too, is filled with an unholiness that will forever haunt us and an unholiness that will forever keep us from God if something doesn't change. If that past is not altered, we will be kept from God for eternity. But the good news is, as most of you know, God changes it. How blessed is the person who, whose sins are forgiven I think it is very true that many people simply try to forget their past they try to forget their past by busying themselves with the present but i suspect your experience has been like mine and that is that that's simply like an anesthetic that very quickly wears off and the past penetrates our consciousness once again Maybe it's not simply because of something that we have done that we knew was contrary to God's will against God Himself, but maybe it's something we've done against someone else. And when we see that person, we're reminded of that or we're reminded of the attitudes, the feelings we have towards somebody. And any thought of God and any thought of the future, again, kind of fills our minds with a certain apprehension, a certain fear, a certain concern. But when a person is forgiven... That changes the past, and with that comes a genuine peace. How blessed is the person whose sins have been forgiven. Now, I want you to think with me for some of the rest of the time we have about several aspects of that kind of forgiveness. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about, to have our relationship with God transformed because of His forgiveness. But it has bearing on our forgiveness of each other as well. First of all, I would point this out. Forgiveness is never deserved. Mark it down, folks. It is never deserved. If forgiveness is going to happen, it will always and only be of grace. Even as children, we get the idea somehow in our heads that we earn forgiveness. Or somebody deserves to be forgiven. What many people think is, if I somehow make up for it, if I compensate for what I've done to God, or if I compensate for what I've done to somebody else, then, then I can be forgiven. That's like penance. Promising that I'm going to do better or try harder. But think about it. That is neither correct, nor is it even logical. If you truly could make up for it, Forgiveness would no longer be necessary. But what does the Scripture say? The only payment sufficient for sin is death. Wow. The only sufficient payment for sin, which is a violation of the holiness of God, whether it's against God Himself or against another human being, the only sufficient payment for sin is death. Which means that you will either spend eternity compensating for it or you will never, ever make up for it. You can't. Forgiveness is never deserved. Or to say it differently, if forgiveness is going to be granted, it must be by grace. It must be by undeserved favor. God doing for us what we do not deserve. Isaiah 43, I forgive you your sin for my own sake, God says. For his own sake. And just as importantly, our forgiveness of others must be of the same kind. It must be a matter of grace. It is undeserved. It is unmerited forgiveness. And I'm repeating myself, and I will several times don't ever think that a person deserves to be forgiven. That somehow throws the whole system completely out, and nothing works anymore. Do not think that somebody deserves to be forgiven. If someone has sinned against you, just as you, if you have sinned against God, what you deserve is what? Justice. If someone sins against you, they deserve justice. Simon Wiesenthal, a a Jewish writer, was a prisoner in one of the concentration camps during World War II. One day he was assigned to clean out the rubbish and the manure from an from a barn that was being turned into something of a military hospital for wounded German soldiers. After a long, hard day of work, a nurse came and found Wiesenthal and led him to the bedside of a young German SS trooper. The young soldier had been seriously wounded, and that soldier grabbed Wiesenthal's hand and he clutched it, and he said that he had he had to talk to a Jew in order for him, the soldier, to confess a terrible crime. He and others had gunned down a number of women and children as they had tried to escape from a house that the soldiers, the German soldiers, had set on fire. At the end of his tragic confession of what he had participated in, the soldier looked at Wiesenthal hanging onto his hand and said, I want you to forgive me. Wiesenthal jerked his hand away and walked out of the barn. Years later in his book, The Sunflower, he asked his readers, he said, what would you have done? Most of them who wrote to Wiesenthal said that he was right. He should not have forgiven. And here are the words they added. It wouldn't have been fair. When we are really hurt, I mean really hurt. We feel the same thing. Forgive? It wouldn't be fair. And it's absolutely correct. It's not fair. Sin deserves justice. Someone who sins against us, or you gonna sin against someone else, what you deserve is justice. Forgiveness runs counter to our sense of fairness. Forgiveness runs counter to our sense of justice. Therefore, if forgiveness is going to happen, it must be of grace. When someone sins against us, it takes the grace of God working through us to truly be able to forgive. Forgiveness is divine, it's not just a cut above, it truly is divine. And only those who have been forgiven by God can know what it means to truly forgive someone else. Not just to overlook their sin against us, which is what most people call forgiveness, but to truly forgive them. So first of all, forgiveness is never deserved. It is always of grace. The second thing about God's forgiveness of us is that when God determines to forgive us, he also removes the guilt. God doesn't just say, I've decided not to punish you for your sin. He also says, I've decided not even to remember your sin any longer. I've changed your past. I will not allow it. I will no longer allow it to affect my attitude towards you. It's as if the past has been changed. Jeremiah 31, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now, it's not as if God has amnesia. That's not the point but God no longer holds it against us. Do you realize how differently God sees you now since conversion by the grace of God than he saw you before? He sees you as he sees you as his own. He sees you as forgiven. He sees you as if those things had never ever happened. And then we come to Ephesians 4:32 and watch the words. God tells us to forgive each other as in the same manner, likewise, what other words would you put with it? In the same way as God has forgiven us. This means that if, I'm, if I forgive you, I am now choosing to recreate the past. It's a choice I make to treat you as if you had never sinned against me. That's a difficult thing to pull off. Because we too do not have amnesia about the past. But God said, I'm treating you as if you never sinned. I'm going to treat you for eternity as if you never sinned. And I'm calling on you to forgive each other as I in Christ have forgiven you. I've experienced that kind of forgiveness. From my parents, from my wife, from my children, from others. I know what it means to not have it held against me. Do you? The third thing about God's forgiveness of us is that this forgiveness, this removal of guilt, is possible only through the sacrificial death of Jesus. Now, this is a very, very important concept also in our forgiveness of others. Most of us here are probably schooled in the concept of God's forgiveness of me is based on the death of Jesus Christ for my sin. But I want you to understand the implications for our sins against others and their sins against us in particular and our forgiveness of them. How does the death of Jesus Christ play into that? As we saw earlier, earlier sin and guilt demand Justice. God's Word says the soul that sins shall what? Shall die. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Sin and guilt demand justice. And here's the thing. Justice is what sin will get. All sin will be met with justice. All sin will be punished key phrase either that's either that punishment that justice will be borne by the sinner or it will be borne by the savior the only two options then how can god declare us forgiven again it's back to the gospel it's the essence of it it's because god's son jesus the christ took our sin on himself and he the perfect son of god died in our place The Son of God took the triune God's sense of justice and fairness and judgment against sin, penalty that was rightfully ours to receive, and He, Jesus, was judged in our place. Justice happened in Jesus. He died for us, satisfying divine justice. Jesus was judged guilty of David's adultery. Jesus was judged guilty of your sin and my sin. And by that, God can now declare us not guilty, no longer under any condemnation. Justice has been served. That's why David could say, blessed is the man whose sins have been forgiven. I think Charles Wesley captures something of the feeling of that, something of the emotion of that when he wrote, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? But in all of this, think about it, please. What about the implication of our forgiveness of others, even those who have hurt us so so deeply? Several things. First of all, remember, as the Scripture is so clear, penalty, judgment, justice, revenge belong to God alone. And I usurp God's place. This is serious business. I usurp God's place when I begin to withhold forgiveness, when I want to exact some kind of penalty. I don't want to call it revenge, so I just create, or I just uh, commit what I've often called relational homicide. I just do away with the other person in my mind. I have nothing more to do with them. I I treat them as if they no longer exist. I put them out of existence. No matter what you want to say about it or how sweet it might sound in your own mind, indeed, it is what? It is revenge. And God says, revenge is mine. John Wimber wrote, When we take it upon ourselves to decide whether we will or not extend forgiveness In a particular situation, we are seizing a function that belongs to God alone. We are, in effect, making ourselves God. Revenge is a very common theme in so much of our culture. I I don't know about the Eastern world, but certainly in the West. So many of the movies that we watch, and even as Christians, we get caught up in it. We, We want so much for justice to be done. And we can hardly wait for somebody to take revenge on the perpetrator of it all. It's a common theme, but it's not Christian. It is not Christian. Judgment and penalty belong to God, not to us. Secondly, Christ paid the penalty not only for my sin, but here's the implication I was referring to earlier. Christ paid the penalty for the sin of my brother or sister against me. If you think about that for a moment and think of what Christ accomplished on the cross, it was not only my sins he died for, but I know her well enough to be able to say it. I know that he, she, he died for Kim's sins as well. Kim's sin against me? I want to put that in a different category, right? I want to exact some justice. No, 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 no. Her sin against me has likewise been Covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I think this is going to be on the screen. I want you to watch this carefully. Who am I to suggest that the death of Jesus? It's not up there. So listen to me instead. Who am I to suggest that the death of Jesus is insufficient to pay for my brothers or sisters' sin against an unholy me? When at the same time I confess that it is sufficient. To pay for my sin against a holy God. Do you hear the disequilibrium? Isn't it amazing that we love the fact that God in Christ died for my sins? But am I willing to accept that Christ died for my brothers or sisters' sins as well? Especially the sins they sinned against me. The basis of God's forgiveness of me is the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, and the basis of my forgiveness of a brother or sister who has sinned against me is that same substitutionary death of Jesus. And as I've said, our our ability, forgiveness, our ability does excuse me, our forgiveness of another does not come from our ability to overlook their sin. Our forgiveness of another comes on the basis of Jesus' death. Alone. His death for them. Forgiveness comes from the fact that justice, justice has already been satisfied. You know, there are days I don't like that. I want more, right? I want more justice. I want more something. I want them to hurt more. I, I want it to be more painful. I, you hear what I'm saying? The death of the Son of God was not enough. I want more. There's no room. There's no room for vengeance. There's no ground for demanding anything else. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And in God's forgiveness of us, it changes our past. God performs, as I've already said, kind of a spiritual surgery. He removes the penalty. He removes the guilt so that it's no longer a part of us. God now treats us as forgiven. He is a holy God, and and He's willing to have fellowship with us. And now God commands us and enables us to do the same with each other, on the same basis, on the same ground. In our minds, we deliberately slice away that That desire to retaliate. Yes, we recall the hurt. We too do not have amnesia. We can recall it, but we don't. So we don't pretend. But at the same time, and repeatedly, we acknowledge that Jesus has already paid the penalty for their sin against me, and I am now choosing to alter my past in relationship with them. And how do we do this? I I don't know about God. I maybe God can simply instantly. Feel forgiveness for our great sins against him. But I think for many of us, um, even if we choose to forgive, the feelings don't necessarily come immediately. We can still remember those things that have happened so vividly, and they can be instant. It's like a scab that can be torn off so quickly. So we not feel it immediately, but we choose. We choose to forgive based on the death of Jesus Christ, and we choose to treat them differently in the future. No better example of this that I think I've ever heard than that of Corrie Ten Boom. Some of you may know Corrie was held for many years in a concentration camp. She was a Dutch woman. It's in the book, The Hiding Place. There was a movie made many years ago. Corrie's sister died in that concentration camp, and Corey remembers, of course, as after she was finally released, she remembered all of that. She remembered her sister's death. She remembered the guards that would oogle them as they would walk naked into the showers. She preached, however, afterwards, that is, is, preached forgiveness all over the United States, all over Europe, for a number of years. One Sunday in Munich, Germany, she was preaching on the subject of forgiveness all over again. But after the sermon, a man walked up to her and stuck out his hand, and he said, Ja, Fraulein, it's wonderful that Jesus forgives all our sins. And in that moment, Cory ten Boom said, My hand, my hand froze by my side because I remembered the face of one of those guards, and it was this man standing before me. All those memories flashed through my mind. And all of a sudden, I could not forgive what I had so long thought I had totally forgiven. And ashamed and horrified, she prayed, Lord, forgive me. I cannot forgive. And then she prayed. And as she prayed, she remembered. And she writes it, that she was forgiven and she was accepted by God in spite of her shabby performance as a famous forgiver. And out of an overwhelming sense of the gratitude of God's grace to her, she stuck out her hand and forgave keyword again. Again. A forgiveness deeper than ever before. And I believe that for many of us it's that kind of forgiveness, it's that experience that we have. We we forgive and we forgive again and again and again. And again, and by God's grace, the choice becomes not just intellectual or spiritual, it also becomes even emotional, it becomes subjective, it becomes our very attitude toward that person. Of all the people who were freed that day when Corey took that man's hand, Corey certainly was the most freed. Does your history need to be changed with God? How about your history with somebody else, maybe even somebody else in this place or this city or where you come from elsewhere, if indeed you come from elsewhere? Is there somebody that the Spirit of God, as I prayed at the very beginning of the sermon, would bring to your mind even today, saying, I was willing willing to simply suppress it, but I haven't forgiven, and I'm called on by God to forgive and be freed in a way as never before. A few months ago, I was speaking on the same topic when a woman came to me after the sermon. She asked if I recognized her. And I looked at her and I said, I, I do. She said, you know how long it's been? And I said, I, I can't tell you exactly. It's been a long time. She said, it's been 20 years. I said, okay. I said, that sounds right to me as well. She said, "Do you remember? do you remember the last time we met? I said, now I do. For the last time we had met, she and her fiancé were in premarital counseling, and I was doing the counseling. And it became evident to me from other sources that there was something going on in the man's life that she was not aware of. So I confronted him, and I found out that indeed there was quite a, a history of immorality and even current immorality that she was unaware of, and I said to him, demanded of him, that he inform her before I could ever proceed with counseling them or certainly before I could proceed marrying them. He did not want to do that, but I gave him a week to make it happen. He was unwilling, and so I met with them again, and I divulged to them what was going on. And as is often the case, and your pastor will know this, often, maybe not often, but sometimes the case, Those who are confronted in that way, or particularly the young woman who was learning information she did not know, chose to shoot the messenger. And she walked out of my office angry, and I did not realize it, but she was angry for 20 years. And when she arrived at that church where I was speaking that morning, she said when she walked into that building and she saw my name on one of their bulletins or something, she turned around and walked out and back to her car. But when she got in her car, she said the Spirit of God would not let her leave. She said, I came back in. She did not know the sermon was on forgiveness. She came back in and she sat down and she stood before me weeping, asking if I would forgive her for 20 years. How blessed is the man or the woman whose transgressions have been forgiven. Have you experienced it? Do you know it with God and with each other? Let me pray. Father, you can release us by your grace. You've done all the work. You've made it all possible. The the very foundation, the very ground of forgiveness, yours of us and ours of another and theirs of us. It's all been accomplished on the cross. God, as I prayed earlier, please renew our wills. Renew our desire that we would deal with these issues that have been long outstanding. And for some who are not in relationship with you, God, that they would come to the forgiveness that you offer based in Jesus and receive that blessed forgiveness that you offer. And then, God, for many of us here who who may still be holding out certain animosities or recalling so easily in our minds the offenses of others, that, God, we'd be able to release those and truly, truly forgive as you have forgiven us in Jesus Christ. I pray it in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.